The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're excited to have a very special guest. Ed Nevermont is a speaker and an executive consultant that helps great companies grow beyond their expectations. Ed has been one of the most consistently successful executives in business as demonstrated by his notable career achievements. He was the CMO and CRO at General Assembly, the CMO at A Place for Mom, and was the VP of Customer Loyalty at Expedia. He's also been a lecturer covering online marketing and analytics at the University of Washington. And now he's the creator of Marketing BS, which is a newsletter and a podcast and a book that equips marketers with the ideas and skills they need to master the art and science of modern marketing. I'm a subscriber to Ed's newsletter. I highly recommend it. And today, Ed and I are going to talk about his positioning for the Marketing BS series in something that he calls Marketing the Third Way. All right, here's our special guest, the creator of Marketing BS, Ed Nevermont. Ed, welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. It's fun to be here. Very excited to have you back. And, you know, I want to tell you, of all of the podcasts, I think we've done more than 700 episodes. Your first episode, the first time you came on the show, is actually our most downloaded episode. So the big question now, is this going to be like Empire Strikes Back or is it going to be, I don't know, The Croods 2? I was going to go with Terminator 2, my favorite of the sequels. <laughs> Terminator 2 is an excellent sequel. <laughs> right? Maybe the best action movie ever made. Let's make sure this is an action-packed podcast. Let's start by talking about what you've been up to. You came on the show probably two years ago, and you were launching your book, Marketing BS. Marketing BS is now like a content empire. Give us the update. What you been up to? When I was writing the book, I decided I needed to build a bit more of a platform while I was doing that. And I had ideas for content I wanted to write. So I started writing a newsletter just with the followership I had. I had a thousand or so newsletter subscribers I'd built up over the years. And I just started writing about it. But that writing about it took on a life of its own. And it's been great. I have roughly 25,000 subscribers now, which is hardly an empire, but a lot more than it was two years ago. And as I did that, I expanded it. And so I went from writing like a, a short essay every week to writing a fairly long essay every week. I added a briefing once a week. I added two podcasts once a week. And it's kind of taken over my life a little bit, which has been great in many ways and, and in bad in that the book has been delayed again and again as I've spent time doing this rather than actually getting the book across the line. 
So you went to more of a new media marketing strategy, combining your newsletter, your podcasts, you did some link roundups at one point. Talk to me about how you think about the format and the different types of content and why are you doing all types of content as opposed to just writing the essays or just doing podcasts? Part of it's organic. It's doing what I like. I'm at the stage of my career and my life now where I'm not going to do things I don't enjoy. And these are all things I enjoy. So I enjoy writing the essays. I enjoy consolidating my thoughts on kind of what happened in the world that week, if not only for myself rather than for other people and happy to share that with others after I do it. And I enjoy talking to people who have been successful, smart, third-way marketers. And this has been an excuse to kind of go and structure my life around doing that. So it's mainly for selfish reasons. From like a strategic point of view, as I was thinking through this, the newsletter was originally free and I just put it out there. When I decided to offer a paid tier, I had a few different options of what to do. Like, What was I going to add beyond the weekly essay? And one option was just to add more essays, the Ben Thompson's trajectory route, which is like, hey, one essay is free for a week or you can pay and get an extra three more essays. When I polled my audience about kind of what they wanted more of, that is not what they wanted. People love the essay. People say, hey, the essay is already deep and thick and I've spent a lot of time thinking about it every week. The idea of like trying to do that with three more was more intimidating than joyful. But they did like the idea of the link roundup. They did like the idea of the interviews with the CMOs. So part of it was like, hey, the audience seems to say, if you're going to give me more, give me more different things than the more of the same thing. And then the second aspect of the strategic point of view was around the idea of bundling. So I, I've been studying a bunch of stuff on bundles over the last couple of years. And one of the ways that you try to build a good bundle is to have fans, but not super fans. So a super fan is someone who like really, really wants a particular thing that you're offering. They will go out of their way. They'll pay list price or even maybe higher than list price to get it because they really, really want it. A fan is somebody who is like interested in a thing, but maybe doesn't want to pay full price for it and certainly won't go looking for it. And then obviously non-fans are just not interested in that particular product at all. Mm -hmm. In an ideal bundle, when you bundle things together, when the cable network bundles a bunch of television stations together or McDonald's bundles the burger with the fries and the drink, you want to bundle things that have fan overlap, but not super fan overlap. So if someone's a super fan of, say, my essays, they might pay for more essays. But if someone is just a fan of my essays, they're not going to pay for any of them. But if they're a super fan of my essays, but a fan of the Link Roundup and a fan of the interviews with the CMOs, by putting it all in a bundle together, in theory, the economics makes sense because you could be a super fan of any one of those three things as long as you're a fan of the others. And it makes sense to go and pay for the subscription. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. 
Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. One thing that sticks out to me is you didn't basically continue to create more of one product. You pulled your audience, your followers, and asked them what they wanted. And you mentioned before that your followers are third-way marketers. Talk to me a little bit more about how you define third-way marketing. The way I think about it is for a long time, all through the 20th century, marketing was pretty archaic. They had a bunch of theories about how things worked without really understanding if they actually did or not. And then people tried to make it more scientific by putting numbers on it and so on. But those numbers were kind of meaningless. Let's call it the madman era of marketing. If you wanted to get ahead in marketing, you had to be a really good storyteller. It didn't matter if your results worked or not. It mattered if you could tell a story that they were working. And that was like the brand marketers or the qualitative marketers. And that was what marketing was for a century. It's about creative. Creative teams would definitely be fall into this category of these type one brand or creative marketers, qualitative marketers. Okay. So what's part two? So part two was sometime around like the 1960s, 1970s, direct response marketing kind of took off. And these guys were very scientific. So they basically did test and control, random control trials to figure out like, should the color be red or green? And what offers should we make? It originally started with some of the original direct response stuff were around uh, like book clubs. And they realized that like by lowering the price of book clubs from like a dollar to one penny for the initial entry, the lifetime value was higher, the customers acquired, but it was all like testing and numbers. And they were not the cool kids of marketing. No one went to business school to become a direct response marketer. They were like the poor stepchild of the marketing profession. But once the internet took off, all those techniques of direct response marketers became popularized because all of a sudden the internet was cool. Well, mainly because the internet was making a ton of money for some people. Money makes things cool. So all the direct response marketing techniques that had been around for 20 or 30 years got moved into online marketing and became performance marketing. And performance marketing kind of took over marketing in many, many places. Performance marketing is great. It's very measurable. You can measure the ROI. I grew up as a performance marketer at Expedia and the place your mom. You put a dollar in, it spits $2 out and no one can question that. And it stops being about who can tell the best story and it's becoming a math problem. The problem becomes that performance marketing has a very short-term feedback cycle. So if you go and measure a click on paid search and then it turns into a sale in two days, hey, you can measure the ROI on that. But if you run an ad that reduces the price elasticity of your product so you can charge higher prices two years from now, how the heck do you measure that? And performance marketers can't do it. And brand marketers aren't thinking that way. So there's this third way, which is using the logic, the data, the rigor, coming at it from like a quantitative perspective, but understanding that just because you can't measure something doesn't mean it's not important. You could say it's a combination of the type one and the type two marketers, but it's almost like something that's orthogonal to both of them. I always say that marketing is both an art and a science. To me, when you talk about the third way marketing, the contrast of the madmen era, brand driven storytelling marketers, or the data science, quantitative marketing, those two things in a vacuum can be effective. 
but the most successful marketing in the world is a combination of the two. And then you throw in the gasoline of the internet and the ability to distribute information easier. And all of a sudden, you need to be able to differentiate with brand, but you need to be able to evaluate your marketing efforts in a data-driven way because you can lose a lot of money really quickly. To me, that's what the third way marketing is. It's a combination of both the understanding of the importance of storytelling and the ability to distribute your message in an efficient way. Am I thinking about it the right way? I think that's right. And it's not about throwing out the data, but it's about using your judgment with the data. One of my favorite stories is at Expedia. This is long after I left, but a manager went and shared this with me anonymously. So I helped build out their first like, test and control, randomized control trial business at Expedia. I built the first landing pages team. And at the time, we hadn't been really doing it at all. Now, I don't know how many people run their landing pages team at Expedia, but it's in the hundreds. And they run tons and tons of tests all year long across their whole traffic, trying to find optimization to get things out. Now that whole team is measured on how many tests they can get out and what their lift they get from those tests are. They still need ideas though. They need ideas of what to test. And this one manager said, hey, I have an idea. Airbnb went and did all these high quality photos. Maybe we should do that. What if we took high quality photos of our hotels rather than taking the photos that the hotel sent us? What if we sent out photographers and took high quality photos? What would that do to our conversion rate? And so they ran a test. They took 2000 hotels in the Northeast. They randomized them into two groups. They sent photographers out to a thousand of them, took a bunch of high quality photos, put those photos on the site. And then they ran an A-B test to see what lift they got in those hotels versus the 1000 they didn't do the photographers for. And the results came back and the hotels that got the new photography, their conversion rate went down. They lost share. So the test control team said, okay, good. We're done. We figured it out. Let's move on. And the manager was like, well, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. Why would new high quality photos make it worse? It made it better for Airbnb. What's different about Expedia that's making it worse for us? Showing an empty hotel. Yeah. like Let's figure out why this drove the conversion rate down rather than just accepting the data. But the conversion rate team was like, no, 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 we don't need to worry about that. The data doesn't lie. We know the answer. Let's move on. We are getting measured on how many tests we can get through. We tested this. We got an answer. Let's move on to the next test. And he basically fought against that corporate culture and went and dug in. And what he discovered was that there are two conversion rate points on Expedia. There's the search results where you choose which hotel you want. And then there's the hotel destination page where you decide if you want to book that hotel or not. So it's like a two-step process. And on the second step, when people were actually on the hotel, these new hotels were converting higher. Their conversion rate went up. And that's where all the photos were. There's only one photo on the listing page. Mm -hmm. So the problem isn't all the photos. It's just the photo we're putting on as the flagship photo. That's driving down conversion rate, not all the others. So what's going on there? Well, he dug into that and it turned out they were in a rush to run the test. And they took all the photography in February. Well, you know what a hotel looks like in February? Cold. In the Northeast? <laughs> so you have these hotel looks like beautiful and sunny, beautiful and sunny, cold and snowy, cold and snowy. Well, people were clicking on the beautiful and sunny hotels. Now, once you get to the destination, when the photography was taken has no bearing on the quality of your vacation, but people are influenced by funny things. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think the story here is successful marketers understand not only the how, but the why. You're looking at the brand and then the impact of your studies. So we're going to put a pin in it here and we're going to bring Ed back tomorrow and continue to talk about the ways that he suggests that third way marketers continue to use the use of storytelling and also the use of data. All right. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech podcast. Thanks to Ed Nevermont, creator of Marketing BS for joining us in part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow morning. Ed and I are going to talk about why marketing to employees matters. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Ed, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. 
You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Ed Never, E-D-N-E-V-E-R, or you could visit his website, which is marketingbs.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can also subscribe to our once a week newsletter and you can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish episodes every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.